It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now... Here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, happy Tuesday and welcome to Talent Talk. It's the afternoon for us, but who knows when you're listening to this? It could be the morning, it could be the evening, but good day to you, whatever time it is. And thank you so much for tuning in here to Talent Talk, which is the show that I started many years ago to recreate, which is uh, something I love to do, which is have a conversation with a really awesome person who has something important to say about how they're leading their talent, how they're leading their companies, how they're becoming a more talented leader and entrepreneur. And this show really looks to try to get those stories, those tips, those secrets, and to kind of pick their brain a little bit about what they're thinking about, what they're reading, or maybe what they're worried about, what they're seeing, so that we all can kind of go back and reflect on that for ourselves, for our organizations. And you know, over the years, we've been able to kind of really curate so many incredible stories. Uh, I've been really fortunate to be able to have enough content to throw them into not one, but two best-selling books. The first is The Power of Company Culture, and the second is Remote Work. Love to have you check those out uh, if any of those topics are of interest to you. Uh, we are live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. As a matter of housekeeping, we will be off next week and the week of Thanksgiving, but generally most weeks we are live. And of course, there is a ton of past shows and content. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, on iTunes, on iHeartRadio, Stitchers, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast. And as we introduced just a few months back, we are now live streaming on YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. So if any of those platforms are places you like to hang out, find me, find the guest, and we are there right now streaming. And uh, the last thing that we love to do is to communicate and be uh, interactive with those of you that are listening or whether that's live or later on. So you can interact with us and the guests on either LinkedIn on that uh, video or on Twitter directly. Um, follow the hashtag talent talk and at people G2. That lets us keep the conversation going. So you have a question, a comment, uh, have a guest suggestion. That's the place to do it. We'd love to hear from you. And it's always great to get great suggestions from our, from our audience. Uh, we have over, I think, uh, 10, no, I think up to 12,000 downloads a day, which is millions a year. And the audience just keeps going around the world. So uh, please let us know who you'd like for us to talk to next. Uh, we'd love your suggestions. Now, uh, let's talk about who's on the show today. Uh, as always, I'm excited uh, for two more fantastic people to pick their brains. Uh, today, I'll bring in Jen Lim, CEO of Delivering Happiness. Um, she brings happiness and a pretty fancy hat today to today's show. So, and then we'll bring in uh, Donato 
uh, Tremoto, author of Double Down Line, How Compassionate Leaders Captivate Hearts and Deliver Results. But let's go ahead and bring in Jen Lim, co-founder and CEO and Chief Happiness Officer at Delivering Happiness and author of the Wall Street Journal's best-selling book, Beyond Happiness. Welcome, Jen. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. So I'm really excited to have you here. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about you? What's important for us to know beyond, you know, some of the highlights that I was able to hit here in the intro? I think the most important thing was my hat. You you called on my hat. So (laughs) I'm pretty happy. (laughs) Um, I guess uh, just to see what's the short version of this. So basically, I started this company, co-founded with uh, the late Tony Shea. Uh, it's called Delivering Happiness, and it launched with um, when the book launched in 2010. And so basically, at that time, Zappos was known for creating happiness in its culture and being profitable and eventually sold it uh, and got acquired by Amazon for $1.2 billion, um, almost around the same time the book was launched. And then since then, uh, we had decided to create a company around it and have been doing similar type of positive psychology, scientific happiness practices for companies to become not just more profitable, but actually create more meaningful lives for people, their customers, their suppliers, their ecosystem, and, and essentially their higher purpose. Um, and yeah, fast forward to Beyond Happiness, which is the book that just launched uh, last month. And uh, it was a continuation to share what that means in today's very different environment (laughs) from where it was before. So, I mean, we could kind of put a positive positivity or, or happiness in context for people. I mean, remember when I was studying what, what made a great organization and certainly Zappos was one that we, we studied, um, you know, several years ago. And positivity was one of the pillars that I put forward saying, you know, that positivity is a, is a core strength for the best organizations out there, the ones that are the best cultures that people want to work for. And, and I always viewed that as focusing on what's working, right? Finding um, solutions, thinking about how can I make something better for a client? How can I improve the situation for an employee? As opposed to what's wrong, what's the problem? How do I problem solve? Um, how, you know, pe- people are always complaining and sort of looking at things and it is partly a mindset, but I think it's also partly like an approach. So maybe you could kind of give us your thoughts. What do you think about that? And how does that kind of incorporate into your, your work? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's definitely a lot to be said in terms of, uh, what the, the outcomes can be when we have more positive mindsets, uh, I like to call it optimism. That mm-hmm. you know, optimistic, but at the same time, have a sense of reality of what's you know the gamut of what can happen on both sides of the risk. Um, and this is really based on a lot of more recent research, but also since philosophers like Aristotle and Socrates talked about like the meaning of life and how it's based on happiness and really finding that sense of purpose, which is. What are we doing as individuals um, that's bigger than ourselves? And what are we doing as companies that's bigger than just making more money? So I think that has, um, at least for me, having you know the last 11 years since Delivering Happiness has been around, been able to show that there are significant stats and stories that speak to it. But I also think, and that's why the book is called Beyond Happiness, is that there's more to it 
that I think we need to be real about, which is that we can't anticipate, you know, every day to be hunky dory and, you know, rainbows and unicorns. We saw a lot happen in the last 18 plus months in all of our lives. Um, And people are, a lot of people are still struggling. So I think we need to reopen the conversation about what happiness means and not just say positivity is enough, but say that let's um, be real about the highs and the lows and the gamut of being able to say, embrace tensions, tensions along the way, because we know we will have them internally or in the uh, workplace. There's been so much made about this great resignation and this kind of push and pull between what employees want and maybe what companies want. And I think what's been left out here is this idea of happiness that maybe people went home and realized what makes me happy is to have dinner with my family. You know, Mm. what makes me happy is that my dog is on my lap while I'm working or, you know, whatever these things are, things that weren't happening at work, sitting in traffic for an hour or two hours and doing work with a bunch of, I don't know, acquaintances. They're not really friends. They're not really strangers, but they're not really like your, your core group. You're sort of, you know, your team is one thing, your friends are another. And so people maybe realize that there was a resetting for them. Mm. And do you think that that happiness is starting to be redefined or re-reflected on now through this pandemic? Definitely. And it, and I think it's important to note that some people don't think about it as happiness, but I think at the end of the day, what it comes down to is, are we living our moments? Are we living our days in the most fulfilling and meaningful ways, which is going back to like the Aristotle type of happiness, which is, you know, the purpose that we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're alive of why we're alive. So I think this great resignation, great awakening, great, whatever you want to put in there, (laughs) X, Y, Z variable um, is actually a good thing because of that time that we've had to reflect. And in some ways, some, you know, something that's easy to think about is like, what do you want to, from these last 18 plus months, what do you want to stop? What do you want to stay? What do you want to start? And I think that all of us have had ample time to think about it, but to put it into practice and put it into action, it's like a muscle. Like you got to actually do it on a day-to-day basis, like a behavior. Right. Well, so how do we translate this then maybe into uh, people are working hybrid and flexible and remote and maybe they're back to the office and, but things have changed. And I think, you know, this idea of uh, how do we stay connected? How do we work with our teams in this sort of new way? And most importantly, being happy at work. So how do we sort of bring those three concepts together, teamwork, being connected and being happy? Yeah, Uh, there's a lot in that. (laughs) (laughs) You mean, mean, it's like I just asked you, what's the meaning of life? Yeah, I was like, how much time do you have? (laughs) Um, So unpacking that a little bit, I would say that, okay, can we just start from like remote work? Is that? Sure. Uh, So the aspect of remote work and hybrid and all these different decisions we're making around that, I think number one, the best reminder for us all is that there are actually companies that have been doing this really successfully before COVID. And so I know people are kind of like frenzied around right now, but like there's actually purpose and values driven companies that had it figured out and been, have been growing, um, one that I talk about in the book and comes top of mind is Automatic, which is um, from like co- founded by Mark, Matt Mullenweg, who is the co-founder of WordPress. 
So WordPress being like, I think there are 70 or 75% of our websites are around the world come from WordPress. So it's pretty interesting to see that they've always been doing this since day one. And they're now, I think, a three plus billion dollar company. And at, I think around almost 2000 employees. So I think the first thing about remote work is to remember there are already companies that we can learn from that have been doing it for a long time. Uh, the second piece, I think, in your question is the connectedness side. Yes, it is hard to connect in a, a human way um, when we're on Zoom land, but there are ways that we can do it regardless. So a big part of what I wrote in the book is that if we can actually dig deeper beyond the conversations of, you know, what are you binging on Netflix or what's your favorite <laughs> happy hour drink or, you know, those things are important because they're pleasures as a form of happiness. But if we can go a little deeper into the purpose side and the value side, if we can actually introduce those things in our everyday vernacular, everyday vocabulary with our teams, that's when we get more meaningful connections, regardless if we're online or offline. Because um, just remember, we had to use this in connecting with families, friends, and coworkers during the last 18 plus months. And it's sort of like going deeper, right? It's like, if you ask someone, how are you? And they go, fine. You didn't really find out how they were. Yeah. Um, you know, we have to go deeper. Like, how are you, you know, I will use this with my team. How are you showing up today? Right? You have to kind of rephrase that sometimes to get a very intentional answer back and then find out, geez, they're struggling. Okay, how do we deal with that? Or they're really happy. They're having a great day. They made that sale. They made that client. Great. How do we celebrate that? How do we make a big deal out of it? Mm. You know, to kind of follow their lead on where they're, where they're going. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. But, but to your point, there's a lot of companies that have been doing it well. We've been, we've been fully remote since 2009 and there's a lot of people who've been remote. And I think most senior leaders have been hybrid for a very long time, always on the road, always on a plane, right? They weren't in the office managing every single day. Um, you know, this, this is a little bit of hype here, but I think maybe what we've learned is how to do a little bit better and maybe, we maybe be a little happier. I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> yeah, I think it is really impossible because I uh, really possible, but just because, um, I mean, building on what you're saying, yes, a lot of people have been doing this for a long time. Leaders have been doing this, CEOs, whatever, because we've been on the road. But I think the happiness quotient is coming back to now more than ever, people just want to be themselves. They want to show up authentically. They want to have a sense of purpose. They want to be you know, like feeling like by the time they wake up to the time they go to sleep, they can look back and said, that was a good day. Not necessarily happy, but it was a full day because I live by what I believe in. And I think that's how we start the next chapter on how we write what happiness truly means uh, in this you know, new abnormal. So then what is beyond happiness? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that came to me after a whole year of experiencing 2020. Like when I first signed the contract with the publisher, it was like supposed to be super simple as to what the book was going to be. It was like the lessons learned, stats and stories from the last 11 years. And then, of course, everything happened. COVID, um, you know, recession, uh, social unrest. And then ultimately, uh, for me, my business partner and my best buds for so long, Tony Shea died. 
at the end of 2020. And to, mm-hmm. to me, like that really made me want to look hard in the mirror to see what am I actually putting out there? Because what I was supposed to write was just not enough anymore. So Beyond Happiness came as a, at, at, the, at the very end before I submitted the manuscript, because there's just so much more as to what our perception of what happiness means, that unless we do the work on ourselves and be brutally honest and truthfully honest with not just our highs, because that informs our happiness, but also our lows because that informs our happiness too from a sustainable way. So practically, it's like all of us, if we can look about back at our highs and lows in our life and learn from it, what are the themes? What values was I living or not living? What, what, uh, what people were there or not there? That gives us a bigger spectrum of what actually happiness can mean in a sustainable way. So that's why I went beyond happiness, because it's about resilience, it's about grit. It's about taking things in context of who we really are as individuals into what we do on a day-to-day basis. Well, I love the term because it's pretty easy to say, well, I'm happy because I have this or I have that or I have this car or I have this job or, you know, and you can put a, I don't know, a pretty superficial label on what is happy. But beyond happiness sort of kind of makes me start thinking about like stoicism and you mentioned Aristotle and, and Socrates. I mean, start getting into much more philosophical discussion about, well, what's beyond that? You know, if I if I have the job, I have the car, I have money in the bank or whatever, does it really make me happy, right? And, and as I mentioned before, maybe what really makes me happy is to have dinner with my family or to work with my dog next to me, or, you know, maybe it's something simple that isn't, you know, an accomplishment or a, a you know, something you have to go and achieve. It's just a, a simple state of, of how you work or how you exist or how you show up. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's, I'm hoping, I hope that is one of the silver linings out of COVID that people had that time to yeah. think about that. Um, yeah. To maybe reflect on that when we were kind of all stuck in a, in, on the hamster wheel, right? Yeah, totally. And some of us still are in some ways, if not in a physical or a mental state. And like the, the whole mentality of all this that like, got blown up, you know, in bigger ways of us being able to talk about where we are with that. Like Simone Biles on her in her own world of work, she said, no, you know, she said, I'm not going to do this. And now we can talk about this in a, a much more honest way. Um, but to your point, yeah, th- those little things, it's just, you'd be so surprised, or maybe you wouldn't because you're into all this stuff, but um, so, so many people are just like, oh, my values are about my family, about my relationships. And they say that, but they don't really, you know, if you look at how they live their lives, they don't really prioritize it in what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's the new sort of alignment that we all can go back to if we do this reflection, if we do the deep dive and work within ourselves and actually identify, am I actually living by what I think I am that makes me mm-hmm. happy and makes the people that I love most happy? Oftentimes it's, uh, uh, you know, the Delta is pretty large. I, I mean, I remember I always knew I liked being around people and I like and being an extrovert that that kind of gives me energy to be around people in that context. And after going through COVID, I was like, oh, that's really a thing for me because I found I was struggling. Like I'm like, you know, begging people to have Zoom dinners with my family. Like you just like in the beginning, like people through a screen, like 
you know, I needed that energy. I was used to being at conferences and being at dinners and networking events. And that was a source of energy for me. Yeah. Um, and so having it suddenly gone, I realized, but I'm sure for other people, maybe you have, it takes time to think about that stuff and, um, maybe really figure out how to turn that into a strength or turn that into somewhere where you can, I guess, maybe connect better or, or be more fulfilled at work. Right. If, if you can apply it correctly. Yeah. I do think that, yeah, I mean, based on uh, what you just said, it, it is, it does take that commitment to actually take time to reflect on it. Uh, in the book, I say it's like the hardest, easy thing you'll ever do, because it really <laughs> is just like, take some time to like, think about, right. am I really living by the things that are, that are most important to me? The hardest, yeah. easiest thing you'll ever do. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Well, uh, we are almost out of time here. I want to make sure we ask the most important question. Uh, you know, I'm sure people can find your book on Amazon or wherever they buy books. I'm sure it's pretty easy to find. But if they're interested in learning more a little bit about you, is there a particular place they should go to find out more? Yeah, we just launched uh, for the book genlim.com. So that's just J-E-N-N-L-I-M.com. We also have Delivering Happiness, which is the company uh, that's been around since 2010 and then on social i'm uh i'm at by by jen lim j-e-n-n-l-i-m or sorry j-e-n-n-l-i-m and that's where you can find me there we've been live tweeting this all the way so if you are following at people g2 you can find her tag there as well on twitter and jen i really appreciate you coming on the show we Definitely got into some good stuff. And I feel like we probably could have kept talking about this for another three days. So uh, <laughs> hopefully we can have you come back next year and we can keep the conversation going about happiness and all the great work that you're doing. That'd be awesome. Thank you, Chris. All right. Thanks, everyone. Uh, we'll be right back after this quick commercial break and we'll bring in our second guest, Donato uh, Tamoto. I'm just going to screw that up all day, aren't I? All right. Well, we're going to bring him in next and he'll help me uh, say his name correctly. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. <laughs> Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed Paris. around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. People G2 we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's Tomato. news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk radio show. In case you miss uh, Jen Lim's uh, fantastic interview, you can uh, catch it on the replay. We'll have it up as a podcast on iTunes and iHeartRadio. You can go to TalentTalkRadio.com as well. Subscribe. And of course, if you want to watch the video, we are live streaming on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find us wherever you hang out on the socials. And of course, uh, check us check us out there. Don't forget, we are live tweeting. Follow at PeopleG2 and hashtag Talent Talk. I'm going to bring in my next guest. I'm going to try really hard to get his name correct. And I'm sure he'll, <laughs> he'll help me out as we go along. But 
Donatu Tremoto. Very good, no? Chris. All right. All right. Anyways, he's the author of uh, the double bottom line, How Compassionate Leaders Captivate Hearts and Deliver Results. He has nearly four decades of business leadership and experience and is most notice, notable for his success in building trans, transformative business and innovative innovation in healthcare. I'm apparently unable to speak. Um, so I'm going to bring him in. I'll let him in, tell us more about himself and I'll catch my, uh, catch my breath here. But uh, welcome to the show today, sir. Thank you very much, Chris. It's uh, an honor to be here. Uh, so what's important for us to know about you uh, beyond what I uh, just mentioned? You know, what, what, what should people know about you and your work? Well, I thank you for asking because I'm a firm believer nobody cares what you do until they know why you do it. And so <laughs> if anyone wants to learn about my professional background, they can go to my uh, Wikipedia page. But what really has prompted me to do what I do um, was the fact that I had lost my hearing at age eight and for nearly 10 years had little to no hearing. Wow. And the second major event that happened in my life is I was supposed to be on the second um, the second plane on 9-11 that hit the South Tower, United 175. And because of a toothache the night before, I got uh, I changed my plans and went out the night before. But my two friends and their three-year-old son uh, would not change their plans. They had already changed it once before for me, and they got on that plane. And unfortunately, they lost their lives when the um, second plane hit the South Tower. And so I describe that uh, event in my first book, um, life's bulldozer moments, how adversity can lead to success in life and business. So I think what I would like people to know, just my life hasn't always been easy, like many other people uh, in the world. I've had challenges. And what I've tried to do is take those challenges and convert them into positive moments to do good in the world. Wow, that is just an incredible story. And I, I mean, it's, um, to, to, you have had two, just fantastically terrible things happen to you and for you to, to still be here talking and not, I guess, drunk in a gutter or dead in a ditch. I mean, I think some people could have gone off and into the deep end, right. And taken and believe you were cursed and the world is after you. And, um, well, why do you think that is? Cause I've met people that take things that big things, small things and, and turn them into absolute failure for themselves and other people are able to continue to persevere and to move forward. I think a lot of it's about mindset, and I thank you for really acknowledging that, because what I did, and by the way, those were only two events. I lost my brother and my nephew in a car accident. My sister-in-law, who gets credit for my fluency, um, she was my speech pathologist. She died three months in childbirth. Um, they gave her the wrong medication, and she lost her life. And so it wasn't just those two events. I think to answer your question, I think we've been taught our whole lives is that... Um, you know, you wallow in your your grief. And I think what I tried to do was to do good. And so through those tragedies, I launched two not-for-profit foundation. And don't get me wrong, there were moments when I felt angry, I had survivor's guilt, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't work through it. Yes, you have to work through it, but you have to channel that into doing good. And that is what really gets you through those bulldozer moments is being able to define your character beyond what the loss and the grief might, um, you know, do to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, in, in your new book, um, you describe this concept of the 
double bottom line. So what what is that? Well, you know, if you go back to the tragedies that I've had in my life, one of the things that I did learn was how to show yourself compassion. And I think that that is what really got me through a lot of the challenges of my lifetime, but also how you can bring compassion into the workforce. Too many of us, and you know, I have been a CEO of a public company, I have been CEO of private companies, and you're taught to start your, your strategy or to start your relationships off with toughness and to be you know, firm, not to be vulnerable. And what I learned is the more that I displayed my vulnerability, the more that I shared with people the challenges that I've had in my life. Uh, for many years, Chris, I basically did not share that I had lost my hearing. I did not share that I had failed the fifth grade. I didn't want anyone to know <laughs> Donato as a CEO of a public company. You know, why would I want them to know that I had struggles? And what a big mistake. So the double bottom line is you can be profitable, you can, you know, achieve success, and you can do good. And you can develop within your own organization that soul, that passionate approach to doing good. And that's how I have led my, um, you know, my life. And what's unique about the book, it's not only my story. We interviewed 41 world leaders, and many of those who will hopefully read the book will know many of those leaders to whom we interviewed. And I know that you you talk about in the book uh, this, this sort of this new model for leadership, and it's this compassionate leadership. And it sounds like what you were doing was you're, you're being compassionate, I think, when you're talking about some of your struggles, when it's the right context, you're, I think you're being compassionate and letting people also share, right? You're showing them that they can share. You're showing that they can talk about these things. They don't have to be perfect either. They don't have to, you know, have never failed. So how else would you describe that concept? Well, it's very interesting. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to describe it by my own definition. What was unique about the interview that we did, we interviewed 41 world leaders, but we did something else. We went out and surveyed 1,500 employees across the country. And we matched what those employees viewed as compassionate leadership against the 41 leaders to whom we interviewed in the control group. And this is what we found. Compassionate leadership is not just empathy. It's empathy in action. A lot of people will say, hey, Donato, I feel sorry for you. And then they walk away. Mm -hmm. What compassionate leaders, the 41 that we interviewed, what they demonstrated was this ability to translate, if you will, that empathy into action to have the greatest impact. And so that's the definition that we tear apart in the book. Compassionate leadership is empathy in action to create impact. Right. Well, and, and, and that's a really, really important point, because for leaders, it's you can't just learn about something and you can't just recognize you have to do something. And and I, this is this is tough for leaders. They don't know what to do sometimes. They don't know how to act. And, you know, well, I, you, go ahead. I'll give you a great example. During COVID, you know, I, I sit on nine boards and I'm an executive in residence with four other companies. So I have had a unique opportunity to be exposed to a lot of leadership over the last year and a half. And I'll share with you a story that was shared with me by one of my colleagues of how this leader wanted to get this purchase order from his you know, customer. And he got on the Zoom call and the customer had explained that his wife and his son both had COVID. 
the salesman or the executive immediately just ignored that and jumped to, when will I get the purchase order? Well, guess what? He never got the purchase order. And so we've been taught not to integrate the feelings with our work. And that's what this book really will help the leaders understand. In that case, it might have been great just to forget about the purchase order for that day and really get into what can I do? What are you experiencing? Especially with the Zoom fatigue that's existing right now. Leaders have not been taught under normal circumstances of how to really understand the stories of other people. And that's what this is about, is really understanding the story of the other person. I've been really surprised um, during this time in some of the clients that I've been consulting with. There's been this often this maybe i don't want to have these conversations maybe certain things aren't appropriate for work and they need to stay out there's this imaginary door right where if you're going through a divorce if you're having you know custody problems if you're having that stays outside right and and the moment everybody went home it all got mixed and and i think that's a good thing i i you know Maybe there are, you, you can't bring everything to work and maybe you can't, it's probably a good idea not to walk around talking about your personal problems the entire time you're working, but at some point it needs to be a part of the conversation, right? If Absolutely. A- what I always say, Chris, is you don't leave your personal problems on the doorsteps when you leave your home, nor do you leave your work problems on the yeah. doorsteps when you leave work. The more we can integrate it, we talk about this balance, the more we can integrate it you will achieve balance. It's why I'm sure you've heard of the great term right now, the great resignation. Yeah, of course. The four point was it four point two million went out in September. Yeah. Exactly <laughs> right. And and when you tear that apart, it's not because of just pay. It's because people want a sense of belonging. Yeah. They want a sense of purpose. And to get to your point, being able to do it with good taste, being able to really integrate that personal and professional, you know, uh, initiatives really does help to bring people into a much deeper connection. So this is actually a really interesting topic for us to maybe demonstrate what you're talking about, because the great resignation in, in all of the clients that I have, and I'm talking to them about you know, when they're having people leaving, some were leaving because they weren't fulfilled and they wanted to go do something else. Okay, fine. But some were leaving because they had real issues that couldn't be resolved, meaning their kid's class got shut down for Zoom for two weeks and they had no one to watch their kid and they were being forced to go back in. And so they said, well, I'm gonna have to quit because I don't have anyone, I don't have childcare. And if the if the leader had said, hey, what's really going on here? Oh, you need remote work for two weeks? I can do that and then you're gonna come back? Okay, right, we could have had better conversations with a lot of the, they didn't all leave because they wanna go down some, you know, they're going to go be the next entrepreneur or the next whatever. Sometimes it's a simpler thing than that, right? Well, Chris, you are right on. What we've had is versations. We haven't had conversations. Yeah. The other thing that you just said, which I think was very important, is that we have biases, right? And so immediately we think because somebody's home with their kids that they're not working, right? There's a bias. And that's what the book really, we devote an entire chapter to how to avoid bringing these biases into your relationships. Yeah, yeah. And there, there was so many good ways in that particular story for the company was so worried about, well, we want to treat everyone the same. And I go, how about you say, let her stay home for two weeks, 
look, employees, we're doing something special to help this person through a tough situation. And guess what? We're protecting you from COVID because if that child was exposed, the parent was exposed, then they're coming to work. And they were like, oh, yeah, that is a better story. And I was like, and you were going to fire him, right? And it was crazy. Well, and one of the um, segments that I like about the book um, is that we throw this notion out that culture comes first. We've been taught as leaders that culture comes first, and I propose that that's wrong. Trust comes first. Mm -hmm. And what you just gave as an example of really understanding the challenges of the other person is about building trust. Right. And once you build the trust, you can then jump to the culture and the vision and the mission. But we have it all backwards now. And you know, my hope is that this will help leaders understand that until you have trust, you can never get to a deeper relationship understanding of developing a culture. Yeah, yeah. And I think when you it, the the trust is is two ways, right? You have to show your people you trust them. You have to find ways for them to to show that they can trust you. Um, you know, boy, that is music. That's music to my hearing aids. And, uh, <laughs> and I'll tell you why, because, um, some people feel, and we try to dispel and clear up the myth. Some people feel that myth number one, compassionate leadership is a soft skill and it's weak leadership. It's not, but you have to have a compassionate leadership partnership. What I mean by that is if I'm going to show you kindness and I'm going to understand your point of view and the challenges you have. Well, then you've got to be willing to understand what challenges I might be going through in the business world as a leader. And together, you've got to work through it. And there will be some tough decisions that will come out of that conversation. And that's the compassionate leadership partnership that we talk about. Compassionate leadership isn't that I, I, I give you this enormous dispensation from accountability. It's not that at all. It's yeah. being able to get you to be accountable through this trusting relationship that you're building. Well, and I have always argued that measurement, that this real, we give employees such a transparent ability to know what is good. How am I going to evaluate you, right? That's compassionate too, to say, if you do these 50 things or these five things or whatever that is for your, your position, you know, you're gonna be the top of the heap. You're gonna be excellent. And, and yet we, I've had people, I've, I've challenged executives like, hey, for the next week, go and say yes to everything. Every question asked, say yes. And they go, what if they ask me for a raise? Well, cool. Tell them how they can earn a raise. Why don't you tell them the things, things that they have to do to get to that point? Yeah. And they're like, you know, but the, to your point, you've been trained to like block and tackle, you know, use this thing, oh, culture first, and we're this kind of culture, so we yeah. can't do that thing, right? And it's no, 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 no. And then, of course, then we wonder why 4.2 million people leave their jobs. I mean, yeah. we're shocked by it. <laughs> well, and then we revert to what we know, right? And that is give raises and give bonuses. And that's not what today's employee right. uh, wants. And I think COVID-19, listen, we were already on the cusp of a new leadership model. But I do think that COVID-19 really uh, put that on steroids. It's not the same. And I call it the new abnormal, not the new normal. People are saying we're going to get back to a new normal. No, we're going to get back to a new abnormal. And it's going to take some time before we really uh, adjust to what our uh, employees want from their leaders. This almost feels as big as the moment as when like smartphones came out, you know, when suddenly we could 
have 15 devices in one device, but this is, it felt so new and different and you could, you know, but yet there was a lot of pushback. I remember a lot of friends were like, I don't want no stuff. I'm just going to have my, my flip phone. And there was a lot of people that dug their heels in for a long time and until they switched over. Um, yeah, that's a very, very good point. Um, and, you know, the interesting part that I'm seeing here today, and it's not just trust, by the way, in our work environment, it's trust in the outer world. And I use the term, we're having versations with people. We're not having conversations. And I think the more we can understand that the only way you can really get to a solution in today's society, I think, is you've got to start off with compassion. I don't care what issue you're dealing with, whether it's, you know, the racial, you know, racial unrest, whether it's the, you know, disparity in terms of healthcare, they all find the, its, you know, substance in showing compassion and understanding the other person's point of view. Yeah, and that takes a moment for us to have a real conversation with our people and to intentionally ha talk about what makes us different, talk about how, uh, what we can celebrate about each other that isn't the same. I mean, I, I remember a lot of times with you know, younger leaders or new leaders, they'll, they'll come in and, and it's immediately what makes everyone the same. You know, do we all like the same baseball team? Are we all from the same school? Are we all from, you know, whatever. And, and it's like, no, put the brakes on that. <laughs> Figure out what your values are. Figure out what, what connects you guys in different ways. Like, where are you guys strong? Where are you weak? You know? And that's that's where the biases come in. Listen, take me, for example. The most athletic ability I have is I jump to conclusions. I have no <laughs> athletic ability. It doesn't mean that I don't enjoy watching sports. And if somebody really can get into that, you know, story about me, I've had brothers. I have a twin brother who's very athletic. And so I grew up with athletes. But immediately one would make a judgment that I'm not athletic because I don't play sports. And so I do think that this is going to take a long time. However, let me tell you what I think is in it for leaders is you go home feeling better. Yeah. You go home feeling like you really have made an impact. And so this is not just about a new skill. It's about how you can have, it's funny. I don't know if you saw the wall street journal a few uh, weeks ago, they had done a survey on CEOs that run public companies. And they said, if you were a CEO of a public company, which that was my last position, so I was very interested in what they were you know, going to you know, reveal. They said, your longevity is reduced by two years because of the stress that you, and I looked at that and said, I don't agree with that. I never felt when the stock was going up and the stock went down, I never felt that pressure because I was showing myself compassion in addition to showing employees compassion, you have to show yourself compassion. So my point, Chris, is that there's a lot of good outcomes for the leader themselves, is that they're going to feel healthier, they're going to feel fulfilled, and they're going to sustain the growth of their company. Well, and as an add-on, I think what we're talking about today will allow them to actually be in that state of mind. Because if they're trying to keep people's personal matters out out of the walking in the door if they're trying to block and tackle around that and just have everyone do their jobs and not talk about anything else you will be stressed because you will know that you're not taking care of your people you know there's someone struggling whose needs you haven't met you you know people are leaving because they're not happy and you're gonna have to go find someone else and that creates a lot of stress in itself um, so, you know so you can you can do better um, but 
you know, it's what do we know? What do we know is sports coaches and our parents and, and teachers and adults who told us, do what I say because I say so. I said <laughs> so. Right. And we learned a very primitive model because we were children, not because we were, and in, and so yet we apply that, I think, a lot of times to, to adults. And then we're shocked when it doesn't work. <laughs> you're, well, and that's the age bias. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the average CEO is 59 years old in the mm -hmm. United States. By the way, that's the same age of our elected um, uh, officials in Washington. It's very funny. And so what happens? You hire your team in that same age group. And so I think that that's what the book is going to help leaders understand is why not promote a 25-year-old who is performing well? And that's the kind of trust that you build in the organization to say you're going to measure it by talent, not by age and experience. That no longer cuts the mustard anymore. Yeah, and it's going to have to be different and and more flexible. And I think uh, you know this this not only are we changing from a flexibility standpoint of, of remote and hybrid and all of that. Uh, I'm I've been talking on the show for a while. I'm predicting. Will people really be full time? Will they only work at one place, you know, for 40 hours? I think this is going to kind of morph and change in a way that actually could be quite advantageous to the employer, to the employee. Um, and it'd be really interesting to see if government and the structure of our country and how we work will keep up with how uh, the future of work may want to change. So, you know, absolutely. And I'm sure I'm sure you're going to be a part of that conversation and helping us uh, get there. And uh, with with all the uh, influence that you have with the boards that you're on, the companies you work with, and of course, the fantastic books that you've written. Um, how can people find out more about you? How can they find out about your books? Where's the best place for them to go? Great, great, great question. In fact, uh, Chris, we don't see this just as a book. Uh, we see this as a movement. In fact, we just learned the other day that there is a I can't announce it, but there's a university that's going to develop a curriculum around the book, and it'll be an executive course offered every year. And so if uh, anyone is interested, the book will be released March 1st. By the way, it's delayed because of a paper shortage. So everything you hear about the supply chain is absolutely true. Yes. But if anyone wants to learn more, they can go to our website, donatotremuto.com backslash compassion. And we're going to populate the website with articles and podcasts. And of course, they can pre-order the book on Amazon. And in case you might be uh, phonetically uh, challenged, uh, like I can be at times, it's D-O-N-A-T-O, last name T-R-A-M-U-T-O. And again, it's the, the double bottom line. Uh, you can check that out, go to the website, and hopefully connect and find out more about him. And uh, I'm excited to hear about that that course. And uh, that sounds exciting as well. So. We have, we've had a lot to talk about. Hopefully, we can have you come back at some point, uh, maybe next year, and we'll keep the uh, conversation going. Thank you, Chris, and thank you for everything you're doing. This is going to be very helpful to future leaders and current leaders. I appreciate it. All right, thanks, everyone, for tuning into today's show. Hopefully, you've gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.